this program to bring you a special report. Welcome to South of the A. If you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. And if you're new here, please make sure to follow us on Instagram at SOT8 Podcast. Again, SOT, the number eight podcast. And I hope you guys liked today's episode. It was a lot of fun to make. Anastasio Choa, we discussed Chicano and Aztec history and culture, as well as representation and appropriation. A lot of good stuff, if I'm being honest. I know I'm a little biased because I'm part of the interview, but trust me, this is one of those episodes you don't want to miss. So, if again, this, if this is your first time, what a hell of an episode to choose. And if you're coming back, I hope you guys are enjoying the latest couple of episodes. I know they got a little quote-unquote woke uh but you know that's just the site guys we live in and honestly those are just the conversations i enjoy having at the moment uh but with that said this is i believe the second to last episode of the season the last season is going to be a lot different it's going to be a bit of a q a between a couple of friends of mine and myself uh you guys are going to get to learn a little bit more about me not that anyone asks <laughs> but i just feel it I just felt it was going to be a little bit more fun, a little more loose, a uh, good way to end season two. It's been a great run to almost 20 episodes now, and it's been the feedback's been great, and I've been having a lot of fun making them. But anyway, for so back to that Q&A. If anyone has any questions or comments, please, uh, it could be about myself. It could be about the podcast. It could be about a conspiracy theory. I really don't care. Shoot them our way. Uh, again, at the Instagram or my personal Instagram, at, at that dude Vega. And we're, we'll try to get them in. Um, make sure to let us know if you want your name in the podcast uh, as well as your question or just the question. That's fine. We can go anonymous. Either way, I hope you guys reach out. It'll make the episode a lot more fun. So with that, here's the episode and please enjoy. Hi, can you go ahead and introduce yourself for me? Hi, my name is Anastasia Ochoa. I am a journalism and Chicano studies student. I am also an advocate for indigenous resurgence through education, reclamation, and cultural preservation. So that runs. Great. That's actually a great segue to pretty much the theme of today's episode. Um, I feel like, I mean, you mentioned your Chicano studies major. Why is it you think that it's important to stay not just in contact with your roots, but also to keep stay informed, right? I feel like assimilation is so common, especially for immigrants, where they want their kid to assimilate as soon as possible to pretty much out of fear of being seen different, right? Why do you think it's still important for us to pretty much stay connected to where we come from? I am a firm believer in that if you don't know where you come from, then you don't know where you're going. And... It was always important for me to not only know where my family comes from, but also what cultural values um, have been passed down to me that I hopefully want to pass down to my children and my children's children. Okay, so great. That's actually that's actually really cool because I feel like, I mean, these are all oral traditions, right? I mean, we have the internet, we have books, we have all of that. But unless, uh, you know, a lot of this is started by our family members, kids aren't going to pick it up, right? I mean, they're not a necessity in school. It's maybe an elective at most. And even then, it's not, it's definitely not put as a priority. So that said, I mean, you mentioned there's, there's importance in it, but what would you say is definitely a benefit? I think that it's important to know what is affecting our community simply because these issues are now becoming very political. 
and it's not only it's it goes beyond being marginalized in that we are seen as a as an other in that we speak differently we do different things from what the majority quote unquote whatever it may be but it is now they are now being like there are now legislations being put in place to prevent us from preserving our culture from being able to simply exist in the way we've owned the only way we've known how yeah i feel like the more we ignore it the more we allow others to minimize it and before we know it it'll be gone i mean our culture is very rich it's delicious to say the least i'll start with there food is amazing music's amazing it's very colorful and you know when i see things like coco you know i cried after coco but like when you really start looking at the bigger picture you're like why did it have to take pixar you know an american company for people to appreciate mexican culture you know i mean we have a lot of movies we have music we have food we have all these other things so it kind of broke my heart twice you know because yes i'd love that they portrayed such a great and uh such a great aspect of mexican culture but it's also kind of like why does it have to be through the lens of uh, an american you know for it to hit home with other people yeah totally i i think celebrating mexican culture or any uh ethnic culture for that matter is only for in my opinion it's celebrated when it's convenient like we have cinco de mayo which is like a lot of it's not even a thing in mexico and yet every year you see all these like deals and everything and everybody going out partying like i don't even like like cinco de mayo like that yeah no i don't think anyone does it's always a thing where it's like oh yeah i guess yeah it's today huh but i mean it goes to show you know they don't they don't really know the culture they know what they like you know, they know what it's palpable for them, which is a shame because we have so much to offer. So there's always a fine line between appreciation and appropriation. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I feel like it's always it, appropriation. It's always something we hear in the news and it's always like, oh, here comes the cancel culture again. But why is it more important to pay attention to, to things like that? And it's not always just a complaint. So in my opinion, the difference between appreciation and appropriation is when the groups that are portraying that are celebrating these aspects of a certain culture are are the ones getting the credit for it or the ones that are they're not being demonized for it so for example when it comes to let's say um like hairstyles for among black women you know like a lot of it's super trendy like girls like doing their hair in braids whenever they go on vacation or something right. and i'm talking about non non-black women or and non-black men for that matter yet you have these instances where um black people are seen as unprofessional should they wear that hairstyle right. in the yeah. workplace that's why i feel like it's such a fine line right because they say well it's just you know we're appreciating your culture we like it so we're going to use it but i feel like privilege because comes a lot into it because it's like yeah but in you on you it may seem normal or it may seem like extravagant and exotic, but on me, like you mentioned, it might look unprofessional. It might look this, it might look that. And and it's, again, I feel like people thread on the line very often because they don't want to offend anyone. But then there's the other extreme, you know, that are people that are wearing, you know, native uh, headdresses for Halloween and things like that. So again, uh, people always throw that cancel culture idea as a negative. And it's like, no, I feel like it always comes down to, keeping people accountable for what they do 
because otherwise, you know, we're just going to let them step over the stuff we appreciate, you know, the, the stuff that, that we like. Yeah, my thing is, is if you have to think about whether or not people might be offended of something that you're doing or something you're wearing, then you probably shouldn't be wearing it. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, better safe than sorry, right? And yeah. if not out of respect, at least out of fear of being, uh, <laughs> you know, being seen as an asshole, I guess. But yeah. that's actually a pretty good segue. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because I know I do understand that you are part of a dancing group, right? My family belongs to an Aztec dance group. It has come by many names, Danza Azteca, Danza Conchera, Danza de los Concheros, Danza Mexica, Danza, de, uh, Danza Chichimeca. It's depending on where you're from, but it is, uh, yeah, Danza Azteca. Right. So you're, you're part of a group like that. And, you know, with SDSU, I believe it was a couple of years ago, they were having a bit of a controversy with their mascot, right? Would you say that's on what line of appropriation and appreciation? And this is, again, my opinion. I, I right. feel like I have to give that disclaimer. No, that's fine. Um, my, my, in my opinion, my, the issue with the San Diego State mascot is not the mascot itself, like San Diego State Aztecs. Mm-hmm. because they have also incorporated the mascot and the and aspects of Aztec culture into their school. Like, for example, they name their schools like Montezuma Hall, Chapultepec Hall. Right. I mean, they, they call it like Chap Hall or whatever. But like the issue is with the personified Aztec person, quote unquote, right. that mascot, will, right? yeah, the mascot who will go walk up and down the stands during a football game and take pictures with people. Right. Now, the problem is, is that that person is representing hundreds of years of tradition and they are commodifying it for the sake of saying, oh, look, I'm here, I'm a guy, look at my feathers, look at my right. my uniform. And, and that's the thing, like they're wearing it as a costume and we do not see it as a costume. We see it as regalia. It is a uniform. When we when we dance, every, every uh, dancer, well, most dancers, I would say, they make their own uh, uniforms. We, we call them trajes. They, they are, um, they're very sacred to us in that we, we consider it like a part of our skin. And we are encouraged to make a new one every year. Um, to represent like a snake shedding its skin to represent a new beginning. And so when a person, you can actually like go and like buy stuff, like like buy some, like, it, I mean, the dancers in Mexico, they make their own and they sell them like in their little stands, yeah. but they're, they're still authentically made. Whereas this guy literally went wherever they got it from and they're just wearing it for the sake of, I'm Monty Montezuma. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, like you mentioned earlier, I feel like it's that difference between, you know, respecting a culture, respecting its history, and then a costume, right? I mean, we dress up as uh, Oompa Loompas, but not, we shouldn't be addressing up or co- using a costume of something, well, sacred for many. I mean, I mean, it is our culture, but for many, it's their entire culture, right? I mean, it's their ancestors, well, it's our ancestors, but people are, de- some people are definitely more connected to it than us. So I feel like there should definitely be some kind of respect. And I, I understand. I feel like, I, I mean, people taking pictures with it is probably like, it's only because it looks cool, 
right? They don't know any of the meaning behind what they're wearing or what they're using, which is a real shame because again, uh, we have such a colorful culture and I, it's a shame that it pretty much, like you mentioned, it, it gets commodified. Um, but uh, tell me a little bit more about your, your Aztec dancing group. So my Aztec dance group has been around for 40 years. They're actually celebrating its 40th year of existing. Um, our dance captains, our capitanes, the leaders of our dance group are uh, Dr. Mario Aguilar and Beatriz Zamora. They are a husband and wife that they have been together and they've taught us the traditions of la danza. Um, he was our, our dance leader, Mario, he was taught by Florencio Yescas, who brought the, uh, the danza from Mexico to the United States. And he formed actually one of the first dance groups in not just California, but in the United States. We, it's, so it's pretty deep rooted, huh? It, it's super deep rooted. It's it goes back beyond just the forty years that my dance group has existed. It is, it is a tradition uh, that has been passed down for almost five hundred years, and it is. There's so many facets of it. Uh, there is music. There is choreography. There is. Uh, theatrics to it because the dancing of it is very theatrical, but essentially what the dancers are doing through their movements and through their songs is prayer. Okay. And, and that is what every single dance represents. Um, just like um, the, very much like Native American tribes that have a water dance, an eagle dance. Uh, we have dances that represent not only uh, those symbols of nature, but they are in honor of various Aztec gods. That's that's great. And actually, I'm going to ask this as a personal question because I'm sure you can't speak for your entire group. But how important is it, you think, for members of the of the group to really know all of those things or be deep rooted into the history behind the dances, the the uniforms and everything else? Like how important is it, you think, to be for it to be all holistic, I guess? Yeah, I and again, my my disclaimer, everything that I, we're discussing is from what I've been taught through right. my, my dance group and from what I've observed. Um, there are some now there's so many dance groups throughout the United States and through California that there are many different ways that danza is practiced. But in my dance group, it is very important to not only have a a knowledge of what the dances mean, but also why you are doing them. Why, why, do you, why do you dance? Why do you make the commitment? Because it is a commitment that you have to uh, do in whether it's through uh, pra practices or performances. Um, so this isn't just a hobby has, then. <laughs> it's, it's not a no, weekend hobby. <laughs> No, it's it's not just a hobby. It's it's really something, and it's it's hard. And people do like, including myself, sometimes slip out of it. Yeah. In that, for whatever reason, whether it be health reasons, whether it be you move to a different state, or but just life happens, and like anything, you know, like right. what? Let's say you 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 join a band with your friends, and it's really cool, and but for whatever reason, you got you know kids to take care of, you got work, you have. Yeah, other happens. things in your life. 
but which is why I feel like it's so important to know what you're coming into, right? Like I'm, like we mentioned earlier, it's not a hobby. So if you're really considering being a part of a group like that, you really have to not just look inward, but also look around you and be like, can I really do this? Because sure, it looks cool. And sure, maybe I can post a picture on the weekend, but it's so much more than that, right? I mean, it's, it's a commitment. Yeah, absolutely. It is both a commitment and once you have made that decision for yourself that you will make that commitment, you must follow all of the obligations or obligaciones of being in the dance group. And those are, uh, that is through practice. You are, because you are practicing your craft, you, you don't, you don't learn all of the dances in just a few weeks. You have to learn just a couple of weeks. There's probably, I, there's hundreds of dances. I mean, there's probably like a top 10 that right. we, that we have in rotation, but there, there's so many different ways and every group does the steps differently. There isn't a homogenous choreography. There, they have, you have to understand over 500 years being spread around throughout the yeah, country. Things change. It, things change and it's taught differently. But yeah, I, I think it, as long as people have true intentions and they are doing it for their own spiritual growth, then I think they will be a successful cantante. Yeah, I feel like, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I feel like something that would be really important for something like that, not just for something that's, um, let's say, the dance uh, commitment that you'd be taking for being a part of a group like that, but even when looking at your culture, studying about your culture, it's really looking inside and seeing and thinking as to why we're doing this, right? I mean, is it out of entertainment or are you looking for something bigger than yourself? Are you looking to be proud in something, you know, something you're a part of? And I feel like that's definitely lost a little bit because, well, speaking for myself, I'm a first generation, right? And I, I love this sort of stuff. I mean, uh, Chicano culture to me is super important because I, I definitely connect with it but in a different level. You know, I have friends that are also first generation, but they live and breathe Mexico, you know, so they're not Chicanos. They take offense to the word Chicano. They're like, no, we're Mexican. Like we just happen to go to school over there. We just happen to work over there. And seeing that dynamic, it's interesting because, you know, it's hard to really say what we are, right? I mean, we don't want other people giving us labels, but then it's hard to choose one. So, I mean, not to discourage either side of the groups. Everybody's got their own thing. And I totally respect that. But I feel like a lot of people are definitely a little lost sometimes. And they're like, well, what are, what am I, right? I mean, even in forms on government things, right? It's like Hispanic or Latino. And then it's like, somehow we're white. And it's like, what? <laughs> it's like, what am I? Like, it's just, I mean, it sounds a lot more existential than it really is. And actually, Danza had a big part in me feeling secure in my own identity. Because unlike people who have joined the group in their mid-20s or mid-30s, I was born into the danza. My, my parents, um, so my dad was the first one who started dancing in his, he, and he was like 25 and a friend. Uh, jo, um, he, he was involved in like Mecha and stuff. Um, right. And a friend said, hey, I'm dancing in this dance group. Do you want to do it? And he started dancing and he really liked it. And he was doing it for a couple years. And he was getting his teaching credential at San Diego State. And he went to a Mecha retreat, I believe. And he invited a bunch of people to go to the practice. He's like, hey, if you guys want to come out, and it's really fun. Just try it out, see if you like dancing. Right. 
and only one person showed up and it was my mom oh, and yeah yeah and the <laughs> rest pretty cool is yeah the rest is history yeah yeah that's so really cool. yeah. yeah so i always knew why my chicano identity was important to me because i grew up around it i this was something that was a part of my childhood going going to practice every week was like going to soccer practice and i was like oh do we have to go you know like i i did but once i was there you know being with everybody the the dance group is my like my second family and it always will be and it's something that will always be a part of me no matter where life takes me that's great i feel like um you know a lot of a lot of us sometimes look for that, you know, we look somewhere where we're comfortable and a lot of us are lucky enough to have it in our family, but even then we look beyond that, right? We try to, I don't, I don't want to say grow out of it because I hope we never grow out of our family, uh, but it's just sometimes we're looking for something else, you know, something extra and it's good that for you, and at least in that sense, it came, well, I guess it was all one bundle, right? Because it was family plus your dancing family, but I definitely would encourage anyone that's even thinking about it to really look up um, whether it's uh, dancing groups or I know that there's a lot of uh, activities that you can do even like Barrio Logan. Well, I mean, maybe not now, <laughs> but even before COVID, uh, there was a lot of like art that was exhibited in Barrio Logan, you know, encouraging uh, Chicano artists and also with music or pretty much anything. I feel like definitely people should try to reach out, you know, try to find their community within their community. We have such an amazing, you know, Southern South Bay community that I feel like a lot of us may not be taken advantage of. You know, I definitely take advantage of the food and the drink. That's my go-to, but there's definitely places where I go and it's like, man, why, why didn't I look this up before? You know, why haven't I been here? Why haven't I checked out that guy's art or, you know, the girls, uh, what's it called? Like sarapes or anything really like, there's so much here. Why, why are we missing out? So that's definitely something I like to do is take people on, or again, pre-corona, uh, take on those kind of trips where it's just kind of like, dude, let's explore our culture. And not just like our Mexican culture, because I do that enough as well, but just our like Chicano culture. Because in a way, it is a bit different, right? It totally is different. Chicano culture is a blend of Mexican and American culture. Like I personally identify more as Chicana than Mexican-American simply because my parents were born in the United States and I didn't grow up really. I, I had some aspects of Mexican culture in my life, like food and speaking Spanish, but I like the music and stuff. Like I remember being in high school and everybody would like be listening to the songs and I'm like, I've never heard yeah. that song in my life. Um, but I grew up listening to lowrider music and um like the 80s songs that you would hear at car shows and everything and right. just being exposed to chicano culture made me feel more in tune with it and i think it's also important to identify with the culture you have to know the history as well like right. chicano park for example i don't think a lot of people know the history behind it and why it was built in the first place in that it was built literally as a safe space for uh, Mexican-American families in the Barrio Logan community because they didn't have a park prior to that. And the city of San Diego didn't want to create that park for them. They wanted to create a California Highway Patrol substation and the community took it upon themselves to build their park and to defy 
anything that the city wanted to say. And they were successful. And 50 years later, it still stands. Yeah, it still stands. And it's honestly very, very revered. I mean, the entire area, um, again, pre-COVID, but the amount of festivals, the amount of uh, gatherings that happened or happened and are planned to happen um, in that park or around it, I feel like it's important. You know I mean? We, We need a space and we also need a voice. I just feel like there is so much history and culture that we have that doesn't get to your average ear, you know? And, and I honestly wish that we can delve into that, like so much more. I mean, I, I know that it takes initiative. I mean, if people really want, there's the argument to say that if people really wanted to know about it, they could look it up. Right. That's the internet uh, argument. But I mean, a lot of people just don't even know what to look up. Right. I mean, like I said, I was lucky enough that one day I stumbled upon Barry Logan with my family and we're like, wow, this is great. You know, when I was little, then I grew up and it's like, oh, these are bars. And then, you know, you start walking around, you start going to the park, you start seeing culture. But a lot of people aren't that lucky or just, again, haven't explored their own community. And, you know, I feel like we should definitely look at our backyard before we start going anywhere else. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of that comes from the separation of neighborhoods too, like Chula Vista is completely different from Barrio Logan in that, you know, like what you have like in San Isidro is going to be a completely different neighborhood, but it's still Raza, you know, like it's there, there, you would think that there would be more of a community there amongst the two. Yeah, no, I mean, you see it even within like a national city to Chula Vista. I mean, it's just, you know, it's two different worlds. Somehow it is, but it, it is, you know, and it's a shame because again, like you mentioned, it's all Raza. So like, we're not that different or different at all. <laughs> we just happen to live in different zip codes. But I mean, I, I understand people having their, you know, their preference, you know, some people love, well, I'll call it Chula Juana, just like the whole Chula to TJ area. Cause to me, it's, it's very similar, at least on the West side. I don't count uh, East of the uh, 805 because they don't count us. So why would I count them? Yeah, and I think the first step in caring about your community is reclaiming the parts that are have been taken from you, you know, or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know, you've seen probably in the news a lot around the country, people are trying to take down statues of historical figures. Yeah. Um, and that's happening in Chula Vista. That just happened at Discovery Park. There was a statue of Christopher Columbus. And for the longest time, people were trying to get it taken down. And just a few weeks ago, they successfully got it removed. Uh, it got, quote, put into storage. But, I mean, that's better than nothing. Yeah. yeah. At least get it out of the way. Um, no, that's definitely important. I mean, that's a that's a great topic I, I feel like we can get into. Do you think, I mean, I feel like you've already said what you feel, but how important is it, you think, to reclaim things like that, like take, taking down statues? Because a lot of people argue that it's just symbolism, right? That there's a bigger fight here that we're requesting bigger things that the protests aren't about the statues. But what would you say, why would you say it's important to acknowledge them? I think it's important to acknowledge the people that it is important to. That if by seeing someone, a, sta- a statue that's erected of a person who literally killed people, what, it, what does that say about the community that, that it's in? And what does that say to future generations about what type of history we are learning, what type of history we are teaching. And I, while I think, yes, there are 
many more things that can be improved on uh, when it comes to activism, many more areas of systemic injustice that are affecting marginalized communities. But I think it's a step in the right direction. No, I, I completely agree. If anything, I, it's always it's always silly to me to hear that kids is like, what, you can't do both? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how much harder is it to take down a statue statue while we're asking for reform in the police? Like, it, it, you know, it doesn't, I'm not giving you options here to do one or the other. I'm just saying it's all part of the systemic racism that we see. I mean, most of the Confederate statues that we see were enacted either during the civil rights movement or right after slavery was abolished if I'm not wrong. So they were obviously meant to send a message, right? They were definitely uh, enacted to pretty much represent all the hatred and the racism that was behind the Civil War and Jim Crow and things like that. So it's all part of it, you know? And yeah, to some, it may seem like symbolism, especially when you have things like HBO taking away, you know, Gone with the Wind or, you know, Aunt Jemama and things like that. But it's like, you have to understand these aren't things that we ask for now. These are things that have been an issue for a while and you're just now finally paying attention. It's what it comes down to. Another thing that I hear a lot with, um, with things like this, it's like, well, Obama did it. Well, this, you know, well, Obama did this. Well, Obama did that. And it's like, dude, I was like in high school. Like I'm now catching up on how shitty stuff is. Like the fight is still a fight. It doesn't take away from anything just because I didn't start doing it 10 years ago. You know, I couldn't. So, which is why I'm fighting now. But I mean, yeah. it's, it's hard to have conversations with certain people sometimes. I, I, I totally feel you. But there are also different ways to fight. Right. You know, it, a form of activism in itself is simply visibility. And that's something that my dance group has always taught me. Um, our performances are based in education and educating the communities that we live in. That we've never performed at like a event at like someone's private party, you know, like just for the sake of right. being so like an Aztec dance group. Right. So it's important to know that this is education, not entertainment, right? It, it, exactly. I mean, you can be entertained. Like I, it's, it's right. totally like there, there is an opulence to <laughs> what we do, whether it's through our turns or our jumps and our, you know, our shiny fabric and all of our huge, like hundreds of feathers that are turning around. Like that's fine. You can be entertained by it, but you have to understand what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. I guess it circles back to, to SDSU having that mascot just walk up and down the bleachers, right? It's, it's about more than just the headdress. It's about knowing where it comes from and what, what it really means. Yeah, like any anytime I see the, the mascot, I, I actually like, I a couple years ago, I did what I think it was back. Well, I mean, this has always been an issue having indigenous mascots, not just the San Diego Aztecs, but yeah. tons of sports organizations around the country. Um, I, I did take an issue with it simply because it's this random guy. Like, I, I feel like once he graduates, he just passes his, co his right. co costume down to the next guy. And it's just, it totally diminishes what he's wearing, what he's representing. And he is not a representation of what the tradition means. 
Yeah, I mean, I always think about it as like uh, the word for it in Spanish is botarga. So like, you know, those like uh, mascots that have like the heads and those silly bodies and all that sort of stuff. Um, they're, they're called botargas. And I, I pretty much every time it comes up and it's like, don't think about it as a costume even because people are like, oh, well, costumes aren't bad. It's like, think about it as a botarga. Like you're, you're making, I don't want to say fun of it. You know what I mean? But it's not, it's not, in, it's not in a good light. You know, when you think of the Padres mos- mascot, you know, you don't think, oh, look how honor honorable he is. Although, I mean, it is based on a Catholic monk, which even that has his issues. But, you know, it's a little bit different, I guess. But even then you can look at it and it's like, it's meant to be made fun of. You know, it's meant to be hype you up and all these things that just Aztec culture wasn't meant to meant to be, you know. And the problem with that is by seeing, you know, Monty Montezuma or the Otarga that he's yeah. trying to represent, you know, like the the non-brown people are seeing that and, they're, and then they see an actual Aztec dance group performing and they're like conflating yeah. the two. Yeah. So that's where the issue lies. Uh, but I, I mean, like you mentioned earlier, visibility is definitely important. I mean, I feel like that's something that we're, we're seeing a lot lately. Uh, issues are being brought up, you know, where people say, Oh, I didn't realize that was a problem. And it's like, yeah, well, that's maybe that's a good way to start the conversation. You know, sometimes, um, you know, in order for people to realize that there's an issue, maybe they should start ignoring it, stop ignoring it, you know, because I mean, people know that there's problems, you know what I mean? It just comes down to how much attention or how much uh, importance you want to give up an issue. Right. But with that, for anyone that might be interested in learning more about them or just the culture in general, what would you say are some tools or some things that might be helpful for people that are just trying to learn a little more? Um, like in just San Diego in general? Books, or like, I mean, museums, um, TV, radio, I mean, anything really that you think is, that you, you consider <laughs> a good form of, uh, you know, a good form source of information. Because I know that you study it. So I'm sure you've gone through some things that you're like, this sucks and this is actually interesting. You know what I mean? Just much like any other subject in school. I think you, if you want to take it upon yourself to learn about Chicano culture, you should definitely immerse yourselves in Chicano artists and um, Chicano writers. And I'm not just talking about painters, but art through music, through movies. It's... It, you have to understand Chicano culture is, has been around and it has been something that people otherwise like don't consider to be something, something could be Chicano and people don't never see it as Chicano. Like the story of Richie Valens in La Bamba, he is a Chicano because he was born in the United States to Mexican parents and he did not identify whatsoever with the Mexican culture. He was very much Americanized. Um, I, I mean, I'm going, I'm starting to talk about music artists. Like, That's fine. The I mean, anything really. I feel like, you know, I, I mean, you mentioned earlier, even like lowrider music, right? A lot of it is more of a type of music rather than like even artists themselves. I feel like there's a, there's a broad spectrum of like oldies and like uh, lowrider music that could be even traced back to like the fifties with like rock and roll and things like that. So, but that all of it encapsulates Chicano culture. I think there can be a number of Chicano resources in people's own communities. Um, and that's through, okay, I'll, I'll just say San Diego like to start off with the mm-hmm. Chicano park 
um, they have a committee that puts on the events that host Chicano Park. They're one of the museums, the Centro Cultural de la Raza is in Balboa Park. Right. Um, and they have a lot of events and a lot of resources for community members that are free. So I, I think as long as you, like, I, I mean, I could say do your research, but just see what's out there and see what interests you. See why these, look into these stories. And if you identify with these stories, then you might just be Chicano. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like uh, that's important because, you know, a culture is meant to be experienced, right? I feel like that's the best way to it. I mean, you can read as mm -hmm. much as you want, but unless you're experiencing it, you know, smelling it, tasting it or whatever, um, you're really not going to get it. And even then, you know, I mean, a culture itself, you can't just take in on a weekend. This is about, you know, going back and forth and, you know, seeing what parts of it interest you, like, uh, again, researching the history, understanding it, not just, I don't want to say not just appreciating it because it's good to appreciate things, but not just glossing it over and being like, oh, that looks really nice here. Now I want a school tattoo or a candy school tattoo. You know, it's more than that. And uh, again, I'm not. Uh, I'm not hating on, say, Pixar for bringing it to the mainstream, but people have to understand that this isn't something new, right? And it isn't a trend. Like, Chicano culture isn't a trend, and it shouldn't be. I feel like one of the places I see it the most is, like, on TikTok. Sometimes you'll have, like, oldies music or uh, people, I don't even want to say in brown face, but just, like, mimicking, like, cholos, you know? And it's just like, dude, what the hell are you doing? You know, like... Sure, maybe that's not as bad as brown face or black face, but it's like you're pretty fucking close. Like you're you're right there. You know, you're making fun of a culture, making fun of people and how they dress. It's just it's shitty. And I mean, shitty people are going to exist, I guess. But there's a right way to do it if you're actually interested. I feel like, again, just yeah. immersing yourself. And I think it also it roots back down to people seeing cultural certain aspects of a culture as a caricature. I think that is why a lot of people like they'll be like, hey, home, you know, like trying to impersonate a cholo. Right, yeah. And what they don't understand is a lot of men and women that en that enter that lifestyle do it as a means of survival. Right. Yeah. That that that's literally the only way that they can ensure that their family is protected. And I'm not saying that all cholos are involved in gangsters because are involved in gangs because that's, that's not true either. That's what it's either. rooted from, right? I mean, that's where it originated, at least. I mean, it was meant to be, like you mentioned, it's a form of survival. Gang dominated. Uh, gang street, associated. Gang associated streets, you know, was, were very prevalent and sometimes still are. So like you mentioned, it was a form of survival and, you know, the vestimenta was just part of it, you know? And again, not understanding the past is part of offending someone in in the now, I guess is really what it comes down to. Yeah. But again, Cholo culture also comes from Chicano culture right, dating yeah. back the, in the way that Chicanos would dress in the 1940s in the time of the zoot suit riots, wearing their oversized pants, wearing the, the flannel shirts. That was Pachuco, something that... Pachuco dressing, right? The, yeah, the way that Pachucos dressed. That was something that became very prevalent in not just Chicano culture, but in American culture. That's another good segue to Zoot Suit by Luis Valdez. It's a really yeah. good play. It's a part of our culture that I feel like is super interesting and I just wish more people paid attention. Then again, 
I can't, you know I mean? I find it interesting. Some other people might not, but yeah, I, I don't know. There's just so much there. You know, I, one of the things I love it really is like, because um, a lot of people really like Greek mytho mythology and that's great, but Aztec mythology and just like Aztec uh, stories, they're so interesting and so, and I don't know, it feels extra nice to know that like, dude, that's where I come from. You know, we come from warriors, we come from fighters, we come from innovative uh, generations, you know? There, that, and that's something, again, that I've learned through my dance group is the stories of these gods and why, how they came about. Like Quetzalcoatl is the Quetzal, feathered yeah. serpent. And these, these are names that have been incorporated into Mexican history. You know, one of the greatest soccer players in Mexico, yeah. Cuauhtémoc Blanco. Cuauhtémoc. Um, I, I think I know about like 10 Sochis that's yeah. that's yeah. now what that's the indigenous yeah. that's the indigenous language of the mexica well, people well yeah i mean if you really go back to it spanish itself isn't aztec you know what i mean like spanish and catholicism and many other things you know were brought up on uh to our ancestors by colonizers and which is i mean this is just my personal thing but like i can't watch spanish tv like i i don't like the accent like the lisp accent is like ridiculous to me and people in my argument, it's always like, sorry, I don't support colonizers. But it's just that, you know what I mean? Like now with something so beautiful and it's so nice and colorful. And it's just like, fuck, man, like I wish I wish that would have been something we would have been brought up. And I mean, my grandparents understood some now and, be and generations before them actually spoke it. You know, they're from Michoacan and uh, Nayarit and places like that where, you know, they're not that far removed generation wise. They're not that far removed from it. You know what I mean? They're still tribes down there that actually speak it. I know that for sure, Michoacan. That said, uh, Nahuatl is such a beautiful language that I wish, you know, it was more prevalent. You know, I mean, a lot of our words, I, from what I understand, are Nahuatl. We just don't know that they are. Yeah, and Nahuatl has, uh, some, has, some words in Spanish have evolved from the language of Nahuatl, but I think you have to understand that the reason why it is spoken there in very few places is the same is because it was literally erased right. by the colonizers yeah. the same the same way that a lot of uh chicano about a lot of mexican-american kids don't speak spanish is mm -hmm. because and and i feel like we give kids or young people just a, such a bad rap we shame them for not being able to speak yeah. spanish but yeah, we have to understand that a lot they're the older generations they were forced to not speak spanish the ones the the like parents and grandparents who started elementary school in the united states and they didn't speak any english they were punished for speaking any spanish right. so the same way that indigenous cultures were killed for speaking their native language right but yeah that's it's funny that you bring up like now what like that that so many words are uh spanish words because that's literally part of like the spiel of like the performances that we would do okay. where like the leader of our dance group he's like how many of you speak english how many of you speak spanish how many of you speak now what and everybody would be like crickets <laughs> and he'd be like okay well what's this word coyote yeah. coyote chili like just things like yeah. that they're yeah, like, again, I feel like, I mean, like you mentioned, a lot of words, you know, evolved into what is now Spanish. And I mean, we see it even between like our Spanglish, you know what I mean? Like 
um, Spanish speakers, especially border Spanish speakers that aren't or that are like first, second generations, there's a lot of uh, cognados that we have, like parking isn't a Spanish, is a word in Spanish, you know, parking is in English, but we say parking and we understand what we're saying. Uh, sudadera, that's a sweater. I mean, these are all words that, I mean, aren't Spanish, but somehow at the border we understand, you know, and I feel like, I mean, to some extent, I mean, that must have happened when I wasn't in Spanish. And again, Spanish is now a beautiful language, but, you know, when you start looking into it, you're like, God damn it, man. Like, why did it, why does everything have to start so shitty? <laughs> I feel like is what it is. But. A lot of the modern day um, Aztec culture has incorporated the indigenous practices of the Mexica people, but it also encompasses a lot of Spanish culture too. Oh. and catholicism like it is yeah. while we our dances do represent the um various gods but there are other aspects of it too like our through our ceremonies where we are praying to catholic saints oh wow yeah so That's interesting. yeah i had no idea you tell me a little more about that yeah so it's and this is something that again, that has been passed down through tradition and historically, um, again, I'm like paraphrasing here, but the, um, the Spanish colonists forced the Aztec people to worship these, um, to worship the Catholic saints. They saw they were holding all these ceremonies and stuff for their gods. And they're like, no, you're not going to pray to your gods anymore. You're going to pray to our God. Right. But what the Aztec people did is they just kind of like did it in secret. They're like, oh yeah, we're praying to her. Like yeah. we're praying, we're we're praying to the Virgin Mary, but they were praying to Tonantzin. Tonantzin is, it stands for uh, our little mother. And again, this is something that you see across all religions, all indigenous practices, is that there is a Mother Earth. Right. And even now, there is a lot of symbols of. Um, the Virgin Mary in Aztec ceremonies. And the, the Virgen de Guadalupe is a big symbol of Mexican and Chicano culture. Catholicism was uh, pretty much pressured, or not pressured, but it, it was pretty much uh, pushed onto, you know, uh, into Aztec culture. But that said, it, it was definitely embraced. I mean, it's hard to go to any Mexican, or sorry, any part of Mexico where you know, being a Catholic isn't like the main religion. So, I mean, I, and I, I, I say this with any religion, I feel like it's, as long as it, it serves a purpose for you, then by all means, you know, uh, I feel like as long as you're not and hurting anyone else or, you know, being a dick about the fact that other people don't believe in the same stuff that you believe in, then sure, go ahead and believe in what you want to believe because it's in your right and you get to do that. But that said, you know, uh, again, when you look back at to how it was uh, implemented into our culture, it's a shame. And again, it comes with uh, educating yourself really as to where things like that come from. To get back to your point, I do think that there is a lot of folklore in Mexican culture. And I wish a lot of people did know more about it. Like even the, the Mexican flag dates back to Aztec culture and an Aztec um, I, I don't want to say if it's a legend or a myth, but basically, and this goes back to our, one of our dances, uh, it's called Chichimeca. 
um, and it's Chichimeca uh, is go. It translates to the dog people or something like that. Um, it was the Chichimeca were a indigenous group that were looking for a new place to live to set their um, their land for the rest for future generations, and they spent years and years looking and if you like see this dance we perform we're like turning our heads like trying to like um because we're look we're looking for looking, a yeah. place and um they came across this huge lake and um in the middle of the lake was like a little island and there was a cactus and there was an eagle on top of the cactus who was eating a snake and then he like turned to the the chichimeca and he bows his head as if to say, this is where you live. And that place became Tenochtitlan. Right. And which is now, um, uh, sorry, what's it called? El Zócalo, which is, mm -hmm. if you've ever been there, it's literally lopsided because of the fact that the foundation was based on an island. And I forget what it's called, the man-made man islands that the Aztecs uh, made just to pretty much have their entire civilization civilization very thriving civilization from my understanding very clean very innovative up to the point of uh, of course colonization so uh, from you were mentioning earlier i know that it's a commitment uh to be part of a dance group you know but a lot of people are interested how would someone come about you know being part of a group or even looking at the requirements to be part of a group like that I mean, there aren't any requirements to be in a dance group. Um, you can oh, sorry, responsibilities. I feel like is what I meant to say. <laughs> uh, responsibilities of being in it. Well, I mean, right now, Miss Corona has put a stop to any type yeah. of gatherings. Yeah. Um, actually, the place where my group practices is now a COVID testing site. Oh wow! How progressive. Yeah. I know, but I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's in San Isidro. It's a, it's a rec center. So yeah. it hopefully it, when this is all over, it'll come back. But, um, our group, you can go to mexicayote.org. That's M E X I C A Y O T L.org. Um, and it has a lot of resources, uh, to join as far as like, joining a group right now i know there are, are several groups in san diego um there are different ways that you can get connected but i would just definitely keep in mind that if you do um choose to seek out a group you have to be secure in the reasons why you're doing it like right. don't join a group just to say oh yeah i'm in an aztec dance group you know uh, I would just keep in mind that if you do seek out a dance group that you have to understand that it will take time for you to earn your place in the group as far as the different facets of being a danzante. Like, for example, don't expect to have, like, once you, you've been in it for a month and you want a headdress, it's called a, well, it's, it has different names. In Nahuatl, it's a copili, but we call it a penacho. And you don't expect to get, like, 200 feathers of all different colors, the longest ones. Um, in my dance group, the when kids start out, they earn them. Right. And it's it's something that is, again, sacred. It's part of your uniform that you have, again, you have to earn it. 
no, so that's, that's great yeah. actually i feel like there should definitely be i mean not to say not to discourage anyone that's trying to walk into a group like that but i mean with that uh i guess rank i guess we could call it definitely comes respect right i mean it's a process it's a commitment like you mentioned earlier but more than that i mean i mean am i am i going too far as to say it's become it's become a pretty big part of you correct Oh yeah, like it's all it will always be a big part of me. Like I mean like it's definitely been a while since I've danced personally and again like that's just life happens, corona happens. Right, it's yeah, just it 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 will always be a part of me. It will always be a part of my identity. I I can't see I can't see me without danza because yeah. that is something that I have grown up in, and I'm so grateful for my parents for keeping my brother and me in the group throughout our childhood. No, that's great. I mean, Ian, if it isn't with a dance group, I definitely implore anyone to, you know, look up Chicano culture. It's amazing. It's a lot of fun. Uh, there's so much to take away from it. I mean, or just to be part of, uh, whether it be the artists that we have locally or just, uh, all within the coast of uh, California, because Chicano culture, that's another thing. Chicano culture isn't designated to one place, right? I mean, from my understanding, I don't know if you've seen the, um, I forget whether it was Vox or Big Idea or one of those big YouTube uh, newsworthy channels. Um, they have a, a mini documentary on like Chicano culture in Japan where they've sort of yeah, taken so. over. Yeah. They've sort of taken over the aesthetic and the lowrider scene and the music um thoughts on that i thought that was pretty cool it, i mean again like they were encompassing aspects of cholo culture that i think the the aesthetic part of it was something that um drew drew them to it i i personally don't have a problem with it but again like if people do ha take an issue with it then it's important to recognize those people and why they do take an issue with it yeah i mean their opinions and their ideas are valid that said i personally think it's pretty amazing i mean from the videos i mean I, i'm strictly the call car culture in japan you know it's it's amazing and the low riders they really they really do their job when it comes to the murals on the hoods or even the hydraulics in general you know they they're not doing it half-ass, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And a lot of it, at least from the from what I got from that documentary, is that they really truly respect, you know, and they, they're they trying to appreciate the culture rather than appropriate it, you know? They understand yeah. that there's a dip, deeper meaning, especially to the Cholo culture. But, you know, they, they try their best. And I guess that's all we can really ask for from anyone else, yeah. you know? The only issue that I would see is that maybe, like, if they're throwing up signs that they saw... <laughs> Or yeah, like, well, from, you like, got you got people here doing that shit and not being involved in the gang. So what can that's I say? true. Or <laughs> but, if you or or if they like put like again like the Virgen de Guadalupe on their car, like are they actually praying to the Virgen? Do they right. see it for as a, what she symbolizes for many people, not just in Chicano culture but in Mexican culture and Religion Catholic wise, culture? Yeah. yeah, and yeah, no, I I completely agree, and again, completely valid. I feel like, I mean, it's a case-by-case -case basis, right? You can ask this to 100 people, and they're not all going to agree. Um, but with that, I, I am definitely on board for people appreciating our culture. 
you know, and seeing how freaking dope it is. Cause it is, it's, it's really cool. And again, I'm lucky enough that I have, you know, I have my ch- Chicano side that I kind of have to dig from the ground because there's no one in my family. Like my parents are the only ones in the U S out of the huge family that I have are the only ones, not just in the U S sorry, in like the West coast. So Chicano, it's really just up to myself and my sister, you know, and we try to embrace it as much as possible. So and even my friends, again, they're Mexicans. They don't consider themselves Chicano. So I've tried to find as much as I can from the Chicano culture, but I'm lucky enough that at any point I can switch it, you know, and start listening to banda and, you know, or whatever it is. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I try to balance it. Uh, I enjoy both. So I try to be with both, but, you know, it's not, it doesn't hurt to look at what we have or what's, what's available to us in our community. Yeah, I think as long as you respect the culture, um, because you can embrace it but not have a respect for it, right. um, you you're you're good, and that go that goes not just for you but for everybody. Yeah, that felt very directed. Like, no, it okay, wasn't. I I, I, I was saying like you, like <laughs> I, I I was just for those like, of you that are obviously just listening to this, she was pointing a finger at me, and it was pretty threatening, but. Yeah, I, I just, for me, it's really important that people, when seeking out where they come from, why it's important, why it's important to them, they just do it for the right reasons and not for the sake of claiming a culture that otherwise would not be a part of their life. And I, and I, and I do say that in regards to indigenous culture. Um, because the fact of the matter is, while we do all, while, while a lot of Chicanos come from Mexico, the the reality is, is that a lot of Mexicanos are mestizo, meaning that right. they are a combination of um, Spanish roots and maybe a little bit of indigenous roots. Right. So yeah, it's like the uh, the claim of white people make when they're like, I'm like three percent Cherokee. It's that yeah. in our it, culture. It, it's that. And it's like you, ha- you have to recognize, too, that like, okay, you're Mexican, but what, how, how does that, and, and, I, and I say this more on a colorist basis. Like, yeah, that's a great, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Preach. Like, <laughs> like, I, like I know, like I, I'm Chicana. I'm, I have Mexican roots, but I, my experience is completely different from my best friend who is um, half Mexican, half black to my boyfriend right. who is half Mexican, half black. Right. Yeah. And you know, like just because you're brown does not mean you're like morenito, you know? And, yeah. and, and we have to not only recognize the disparities between um, lighter skin and darker skin people of the same culture, but also dismantle, the disparities that exist as well yeah it's always it's always uh horrible it's horrible to see like colorism in our culture just because it's so prevalent i mean you can't look away from it right i mean at least from my personal experience i saw it with my family a lot right because there's obviously the darker ones uh in our, in our family and there's the lighter ones and for some reason the lighter ones were always prettier and we were constantly reminded not to stay out in the sun this and that you know and it's like 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 fuck man like why are you making kids feel so bad right off the bat like i have a kid my kid is pretty much white i mean he looks 
he just like his mother he's very white that said the first thing people told me is like oh he's so pretty he's so esta, esta and yeah like, man, what are you saying about me because i'm not <laughs> white you know what i mean so that's obviously you're obviously talking shit without talking shit you know? Yeah, and what is and what language do we use when we refer to a child who is darker skin? We call them Indio, Indio. or India. Ah, ves bien Indio, like uh, yeah. Yeah, and that and that language in itself is harmful and it's dangerous and it is anti-indigenous. Yeah, no, that's it's pretty shitty. Like I remember when I when I spent too much time at the beach, they'd call me Tisok, but that's mm-hmm. pretty much what it is. I mean, it's in Indio, so. Shitty, shitty, but I feel like uh, we're hopefully moving in the right direction. You know, there's definitely, like, as you mentioned earlier, visibility definitely counts for a lot, but also keeping people accountable and education. I mean, you can't be, you know, informing people as to what's wrong, right? And making sure that people are aware that some things are offensive, uh, but also that, you know, there's more to some things than they they believe. So I feel like that's that's one way, if anything, that we're going to hopefully – I mean, we're never going to eliminate racism, but <laughs> at least move in the right direction. It starts at home, though. It definitely, definitely like it starts at home. 100%. You got to stand up, man. You can't be taking these jokes. Because that's the thing with like a lot of Mexican culture. Um, uh, it's like, oh, it's, it's carrilla. Like, it's just, we're just having fun. Like, we're just being funny. It's like, no, dude, we both know you're not. And even if you think you are, there's a deeper issue here that you think that something like that can just fly by. And it just be okay, you know. And it, it, the amount of times I've made a room awkward because I'm like, dude, that's not okay. I, it's insane. But you have to keep doing it, you know. Otherwise, and even people will be like, well, you're just making sure that they don't say it in front of you, but they'll keep saying it. I'm like, good. I'm hope they're scared, and maybe they'll be scared with other people. And as long as we all keep each other accountable, then you know we can do something about it. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, Anasasi, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Uh, where can we find you? Where can we look you up? Um, well, I just have a personal account. If you want to follow me there, it's, uh, my username is Sazi8A on Instagram and Twitter. But yeah, any if anybody has any further questions, and I can also refer you to people in my dance group that have way more knowledge than me this is my personal experience yeah i was gonna say this is this wasn't meant to be some kind of like master class on chicano culture (laughs) just uh just starting a conversation because i feel like uh, i mean this is pretty much what the podcast is is just starting a conversation with people like us you know what i mean for people by the people whatever you want to call it as cheesy as it may sound that's pretty much what i'm going for i mean i feel like the conversation was great and again thank you so much for taking your time Thank you for having me. What you're doing is super important and I'm definitely a huge friend of a huge fan of the podcast and I hope that you continue shining a light on not just young voices but all people in underrepresented communities. Most definitely. That's that's what I aim for. 